We're back, people. And it's Friday. We say, Jared, Zach, how are we doing today? Doing good, man. I'm doing awesome. Friday. Been a long week. Um, I'm ready for spring. Ready for spring? Absolutely. I'm ready for this season to start. Which one? We got like all kinds of seasons starting. Not spring so much. (laughs) I mean, I'm excited about spring, but I'm more excited about actually getting to watch the St. Louis City MLS team play. For the MLS right, right out of the gate. The MLS, MLS season starting to oh, I heard about that. Is that that new building downtown? Yeah, it's a, it's just down the street here, actually. I don't know if you knew that pink, or not. Pink lights, right? A couple pink lights, some yellow lights. Even the even the parking garage has city red for the stairwell. And then the backside on the on the east side of the of the stairwell is that lightning or electric yellow. Yeah. So they're theming everything, which is kind of cool. I mean, the, 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 the planning that went into the brand and the brand identity and the physical activation of said brand, from, you know, specifically with the lights and the art and the design, oh, yeah. top class, yep. world class, really, um, dropped us into the episode today with a little Midland, right? We got a drinking problem. It is a Friday. Um, Did my wife put you up to that? Yeah, she texted me earlier. Okay. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> Subtle <laughs> message. Yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> she just gave just like uh, two fingers please crossed yeah. on the on the emoji. Maybe subliminally it'll get through. Yeah. Probably yeah. not though. Will it? Maybe. I don't mm, I'll see. You text her, see how she feels about it. Maybe next time. <laughs> she's on FaceTime secretly right now, but I guess uh, all she, right. she's listening. Just text her back with Dream On. Yeah. You know. Yes. Thinking speaking of Dream On, we we had that we featured that prevalently. Yes. Uh, on our previous episode, which is really turning out to be a banger. Yeah. Um, based on the initial reactions to the show on socials, we, we dropped it out early this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I, I'll be honest, I haven't, I haven't seen a reaction to most of our shows the way this one has taken off. Uh, and that was Miss Lindsay Eversmeyer. Um, I think she... She killed it. I mean, in my opinion, right out of the gate. Uh, her approach, her um, her candor, her just brutal honesty, look you in the face. Um, you 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 know you 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 get what you see. Uh, awesome. I mean, she, well, she's I, I was, an ace. She she is an ace. I mean, we're 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 twenty seven, twenty eight episodes into this thing, and that was the one time where I felt as if the three of us were kind of on our toes a little bit. Like, uh, we better ask a good question. She'll take us out. Like. <laughs> She she had that look in her eye. Yeah, like I yeah. dare you. I, you know, and she's a bow hunter, so she could have done it silently. Yeah, I wouldn't even known. No, I would. I wouldn't have heard. Wouldn't have heard the pow. No. And so, but I mean, a few things, a few takeaways from the episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Her path to where she is today is an incredible story, and I think more incredible than than kind of the X's and O's and and the kind of the fact check of her history is really her mental approach to, you know, answering those questions. The, yeah. You know, well, what about, you know, you as a female and dot, dot, dot. It, it didn't matter. Her, her answers were on point. Um, I, I was just, I was just impressed. It I, wasn't I, scripted. It wasn't fake. I mean, no. it's just, it, it was, it was um, sincere. It was honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that, that's, that's what I was I, leaving the place last night, driving home, uh, just going through my head um, the events of, you know, the hour previous, uh, I was impressed. I mean, again. Well, I, I, I took a excerpt, a quote from the 
uh, episode and I put it out on, uh, actually I put it on LinkedIn, specifically on LinkedIn instead of the other media platforms for a reason. And it was basically, remember when she said, you know, I don't think it's fair that people don't ask men who haven't coached women. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing at this point. You know, wh- why, why do you not ask men who haven't coached women if it's all right for them to coach women's teams having never played it, yet I played the men's game and you're asking me if I'm qualified? Yeah. yeah it's I was not like, a two-way. Yeah, the, the inequity and, and hypocrisy is pretty blatant in, in that, I would say. Yeah. You know, I played the game and there's not a chance I could coach it. I mean, no. there's just no way. No. I don't have the patience, the candor, the. I, I mean, there's it's just a special person to, to to be able to coach it and coach it at a high level like she does. Yeah, and I think the three of us are quote special people in our own right. Well, we're special, but not not on that coaching side. No. Which, duh, 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 wow. how 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 man? How did that work out? Right? You like segues? That was a brilliant segue. I've never been on one. I haven't either. Oh, where, you're, where we oh you're talking about we're, like I mean let's let's we, we gotta drop it where, where are we at today yeah change the scenery to uh, number one it's a Friday normally it's Tuesdays and Thursdays taking care of the kids today it's Friday and it works because the, we're taking care of the kids too but true change of scenery uh, instead of being at uh, the amazing well spent down on olive we're at another beer mecca here in the Lou uh, one of the original craft brewers from the breakup of Budweiser uh, over at urban chestnut on Washington. Uh, one of the OGs, right? You had uh, Urban, Four Hands, and... Uh, Second Shift? Modern. All of them were right about the same time. Schlafly, 91. Well, Schla- no, no, Schlafly Schlaf- was... Yeah, that's different. They're way back. Yeah. They got that pale ale thing. And don't go there. We've already knocked on Schlafly. Yeah, we're not going <laughs> to... We can't... When let's... <laughs> <laughs> you know. Let's okay. just... I, I, I'm just excited. I, I have their stout, the Canace, if I'm pronouncing that right. And it's a lighter stout. It's not overly... It's not a chore. No, I'm not chewing it, uh, which is good. I think they have a real problem, Mr. Shine and the boys, and thank you for having us. Their flagship, we all know what it is, this Balkans Treat Lager. Oh, it's so good. I it mean, how, I mean... Yeah, I know. I mean, you, if there was a death match between Zwickle, Underdog, and Balkan, I don't know, man. That Croatian's pretty badass. I'm taking Stomptish. Ooh, Stomptish. I, I think you're taking that German Pilsner over this Balkan. Ooh. I don't know. All right, All right okay. let's go. Yeah, because yeah. our guest speaking is of like, segue that we just ruined. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's literally thinking himself. Right they they warned they warned me, they warned me that this was a bad idea, and now I realize it is. Um, we have one of the preeminent uh, Division One coaches in the nation, uh, not just in our backyard, but in the nation, who happens to be in our backyard. Um, good old North County boy. Uh, from his youth, uh, D1 player in his own right, uh, played professionally as well, and has been in the coaching game really ever since. Um, without further ado, we have the Mr. Kevin Kalish, Coach Kalish from SLU University. How are you, Kevin? Good, guys. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. So exciting to have you here. It's, it, it's been one of the, the marquee gets for us to talk with you because just the amount of buzz that's been created about SLU since you took over in 2018 and the last couple seasons with the A-10s and then Final Four. I mean, it's just Well, shit, his resume alone. Well, I I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, let's go. Uh, So, yeah, we're just, Coach, we're real excited to have you. I appreciate you guys having me on. And not that we tried to set you up with, uh, 
too much hype after our episode with Lindsay, <laughs> but uh, she was. Uh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> she was at our ID camp uh, scouting this past weekend. She's great, isn't she? Yes. Well, it's you know the the thing I the thing I love about her approach, and in in the episode yesterday, she talked about. Um, kind of that, the, the uh, I don't know the w- way to put it, the honest approach, mm-hmm. right, in addressing uh, talent level or expectation or prospect for an individual. I loved it because, I mean, we, we so many times, I mean, clearly you're in it day in, day out. We've been around our whole lives, not only personally, but with our children, you know, and, and that lack of direct uh, feedback uh, to said player or, you know, parents included. Right is is really kind of a i mean it's an anomaly it doesn't happen often so i guess yeah, i mean that's kind of one of the questions that i had on on my list here in front of me uh <laughs> that i wanted to ask you and there's no list in front of me people um, no. how how do you handle that you know because you you're clearly in a position at at the university with that team um what do you do when people approach you and you just know it's not there? Uh, let's start there because you are probably solicited solicited ten times more than you solicit. Mm-hmm. How, how do you handle that? Clarify the question. How do you tell people they're not good enough? <laughs> okay, no, I think that's fair. I think obviously there's a lot of players that want to play at SLU, right? And that right. reach out, and um, I think. I think at some point throughout the recruiting process, usually for us, it's uh, between three to six months out, you know, out from uh, from the season. Where we'll actually say, okay, we've we've identified our class, or we identified this position. Um, you're no longer on our board, recruiting board, and we're going to move on and go in a different direction. And or we watched your video. Don't think it's a great fit. You know, I definitely can recommend some schools that maybe would be a good fit, but for us, it's it's just not uh, it's not the right fit. So. I think I think it, it's it, a little bit different than being in, a cl- in the club world, but for for me, sure. my position at Salou right at the moment, it um, yeah, you, you have to you have to be honest and forthright, but also be have some empathy and understand, and try to help them out in any way they can. So, given your relationship the the university with clubs, and and now that the recruiting process starts so much earlier and earlier and earlier as we all get older. Um, how, how do you deal in uh, with the conversation? Because the, what you just des- described is seems to me to be a direct conversation to the player. Like, hey, you're not on our board anymore, or hey, we think this is a better fit for for you. With the younger players that are swirling and the inevitable, those parents. Do, do you you have any uh, tips, tricks, or advice for those individuals t- through this process? Look, I, I think there's just so many examples of players that have that have uh, either been, um, uh, the, I would say, uh, how do I want to articulate this in a very clear way? I think uh, painted it with a broad brush of saying, okay, you're not good enough, or this is what you are, and then they've changed and they've moved on and they've done great things two or three years later. So just through my experience, and I've spent – uh, so my first job was right out of, right after playing for a little bit for a cup of coffee. I, I started working with Scott Gallagher right in 2001 when, when I became the executive director of Scott Gallagher. So I spent, you know, a good 16 years of my life in, the, in, in, in uh, youth development. And so uh, I just seen so many players that have that have that have that are late developers or, you know, they, they, they talk a lot. Arsene Wenger talks a lot about um, 
uh, it's not it's not about um, motivational intensity. It's about motivational stamina. So can you stay motivated for long periods after setbacks after setbacks? And usually it's those players that make it. The process. It's the so, but it's yeah. hard for you know the the ego or just uh, the, the setback. Right? It's really difficult to deal with that. It, it's, but it's those those players that can push through those difficult moments and keep going and keep going and keep going. Uh, that usually end up making it. I, I have I've had a number of conversations recently with players that have gone, tried tried to make it professionally, and it's hard. It's really hard, right? Yeah. This is after college, after they've been you know considered some of the best players in college, and uh, they've you know have they've made teams, and do they continue to continue to go on, or do they just call it a day? Or it's hard, you know. And so, um, but I think for our younger players, it's just there's so much time and growth. If they if they want it, you gotta you gotta keep going. Reps, just just keep playing. Let's let's back up. I think we're a little ahead of ourselves. Let's. I mean, he he mentioned uh, Scott Gallagher. Um, I, I mean, by all accounts, um, or I mean, the modern day academy at and as as successful as it has been, you started that. I mean, let, let's be frank. I mean, when you got in there, the, what the development academy looks like today, and it has morphed into this MLS Next League. Um, you were on the ground floor, correct? Yeah, I wouldn't say I started it. Uh, I, I was I was a part of of uh, I was involved in the organization when the U.S. Soccer started the U.S. Development Academy. Yes, and I think that was '07. Right. And so it was it was a league league based initiative from U.S. Soccer that said, okay, we're going to play ten months. We're going to you know acknowledge X amount of academies across the country and go in this direction. Um, but Scott Gallagher was much was great long before I got there. Absolutely, I was a player. Obviously, that played for the club for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's since nineteen seventy nine. It's been it's been rocking and rolling. Well, around two thousand, you said two thousand one was the first year. Is that yeah? That was when I uh, first first became the executive director of the club. Yeah. Okay, so that was right about the same time Godat came. Would have been a, little bit after, a couple of yeah, years. A little bit after. A little bit after me. So I hired Ken on. Yeah. But uh, it was a little bit after me. Wow. <clears throat> so. Okay, let's keep ratcheting it backwards then, because this this is kind of a telltale of our shows. We really don't follow a timeline, <laughs> so all good. Yeah. Uh, Aquinas, let's go. Let's go back there. Let's talk about okay. the North County days. You know, you know, we'll, we'll lean into a little bit of the St. Louis thing, right? Uh, you know, the inevitable Wood High School. Well, we know. We just said it. You went to Aquinas Mercy, right? That's right. Uh, in those days. Um, you know, uh, really up until the academies took off, high school was the thing. It was right. hundred yeah, percent. Talk about, talk, talk about your, your years at Aquinas. You guys, you guys had success, um, you know, at, at the highest level in the state. Talk about those teams. Talk about some of those players. Talk about the environment at the time, you know, and how that kind of helped mold or motivate you, you know, leading into your collegiate career. Yeah, it was a special time. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like it, things have changed, obviously. But back then, it just seemed like a it was lighting in a bottle. It was it was a great great time to grow up. Uh, very community based. Uh, I remember even just you know getting the Suburban Journal, uh, you know, coming out and the paper was about the previews of all the high school teams and everyone's kind of excited to read the you know the the articles and clips of of the, the teams that were come you know were, that were going to be good that year and. You know, and, and all the players that came before me that you would kind of emulate. I had an older brother and uh, who played as well. So uh, North County was just a was very, very, you know, small community that would valued soccer. And um, and it was kind of ingrained in the DNA of, of young kids who who kind of either a their their parents, brought, you know, drove it down in their in their DNA or maybe they caught 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 the bug at, at, uh, at their grade school. But um 
it was just a it was a great time to to grow up and uh you go up to to coke park and it was just like you just played and it yeah. wasn't there wasn't a ton of uh, there were some structured sessions but but it was more about just the uh the community culture and kind of what uh what back then it was just it was a big deal well i mean we've talked uh well we've had a, a guest on uh terry mickler yep. right um my coach in high school gene baker um all of these names that kind of were the dominant villa like mm -hmm. you know all these names that led the high school you're a Granite city guy huh yeah okay oh yeah see he's leaving you're not leaving now now you're like gonna buy me a beer <laughs> i like that um it's funny because there's something about North County, kind of the pedigree from the really the 60s and 70s with those individuals that we just mentioned and how it permeated through the community. You know, the amount of people from Hazelwood and, and, and the Florissants and the Fergusons, right? Uh, there was something in the water. How, what, what was your take on the rest of the, you know, those schools, the SLU highs, the CBCs? You know, because you guys were, were you, you were, you, we were three, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, we had a, we had a good crop of guys that went to Aquinas with me, right? And then we had some successful years above us, um, below us, but we had a really good crop of guys that went to school together. Um, Mark Fillow, a guy that was a really good center wow. forward back yeah. in the day, um, his career got cut short. He played at SLU for a year or two. And, uh, Andy Corbis-Meyer was a goalkeeper, Jake Ashley, Tim Matter, Mike Francis. So guys that, that, have, that were really a good core group of guys that, uh, that I had the pleasure of playing with. And, and yeah, so we, we kind of we prided ourselves on uh, trying to knock down the CBCs of the world. and uh, <laughs> Rosaries. The, uh, the Rosary was our – that was probably our arch rival for yep, sure. Yep. Yep. Uh, that was always some, some knockdown drag out games. And, um, but when you played, you know, CBC at Coke Park and they were one in the country or, you know, one in the state, we were two – you know, and there's 3,000 people at Coke Park, and uh, you know that, those things that just you remember. What an things. atmosphere! It was just well, yeah, great, a great thing. It it reminded me talking about this in real time because um, I've I've been doing some uh, some design work and things with uh, Jason Glover, okay, yep. um, who went to McClure North, and we were talking because he's he's ex exactly my age, 93. Uh, you graduated in 95. Five. Yeah. So a little while back, he asked. He said something about the tournament of champions mm -hmm. in Granite yeah, City tournament, yep. and I'm like, uh, you know what? I got you. So I sent him a picture, and I'll show you that. You know, you can't see this on the podcast, but it's a picture of the T-shirt from the tournament that year. And I just thought about this, right there at the top, below Granite City, is Aquinas Mercy and Brother Rice. You, from you would have That's right. Yeah, you would have been in that tournament then, oh, were yeah. you playing as yeah. so, uh, sophomore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, we played Granite on a Friday night uh, in that tournament, and I mean the worst feel ever. Uh, <laughs> but it was just well, such watch a this. Oh, mute. Where'd you go? Okay, <laughs> no, he's back. But <laughs> <laughs> what a great environment! I can't, I can't. I mean, it's just it was just so unique, right? Uh, the gauntlet. The gauntlet. That's right. That, and when Gene Baker would have his teams warm up, and they would they'd run up and drop, yeah. kick the ball out of their hands <laughs> of the goal, <laughs> and you go, okay, I guess that's what they do. Well, it was so funny. Because because I, I always thought that was the weirdest warm up too until I did it and I'm like okay I get it I get you it have to call the field the gauntlet you know it sucks I mean get out of here with the Granite City gauntlet dude what look <laughs> you, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the field out there in what is that Kansas City or wherever you're from what, Hannibal yeah same thing uh, or O'Fallon no but I mean you remember you were there I mean it was let's see that Friday in fact I probably remember this I mean there was easily. 1,500 people yeah. there? Yep. 
you know, it was, it was really kind of a marquee tournament. And, you know, once you moved through, because that was the year that, uh, let me see, who was it? Viani? They were on like a two. They were undefeated. Yeah, they yeah. Won, I think they won the thing that was number one in the country. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. That was fun. Great so players. Great I players. I want to ask you about that because I think, you know, looking at your resume, two state championships, yeah? All-American. Then you win a, a club championship. You're doing the recruiting now. What do resumes look like today? They don't have that. I mean, it's for funny. most of the no, kids, yeah, you're they're right. playing club. They're not going to be a high school All-American. They're not going to win a state championship. They're probably not even going to win a cup championship because they don't play like that anymore. So what are you looking for now? We'll get back to the, the North County, South County Everybody else. We don't need to do that. Everybody made fun of Granite already. I'm done. No. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm, I'm curious because when you're looking at those resumes, is it now just more the social media and, and the videos? How do you filter through when you don't have that criteria anymore? It's, you know, I'll answer that in a, in a second. But it is interesting because I, I asked my players, I don't know, it was last fall, how many, how many guys have, have actually played for a trophy in this room? Oh, yeah. There's not question. many, no, you know, and so it's like so. Then I uh, then I go back to okay. So do you know how to win a one off? So when you're in a one off, you have to win the game. You have to play a little bit differently, in my opinion. I think I think you, to, you look at the game a little bit differently. So it's like how many guys have actually had to had to win a game or win a trophy, and you get you lose, you're out. I would say there's less than you know twenty percent in the room raise their hand. Wow, right. So and that's what we grew up on, right? Which I think is a huge part of development that we're missing. I'm yes. being transparent. That's my own opinion. But um, in terms of what we look for, yeah, I think you just got to look at it through the through the lens of today. And it's about you can still you can still identify players whether they're playing in league matches or whether they're playing in tournament formats. You can still identify them. Um, I think the tournament format though does give it a little wrinkle. You can learn a little bit more about their maybe their competitive nature a bit or. How they react in big games? Yeah, because you you guys are probably uh, my guess would be that you're you have a decent budget for recruiting, but you're probably going to spend as much time as you can in these showcases and things where you can run through a whole list of players in in a day or a couple days. So, do you? And I'm not. <laughs> this sounds like a very personal question because we all have kids that are going to be sure. hopefully recruited at some point, but it's more just about the culture that you've created at SLU. So when you're looking out in the field, you're at a showcase down in Dallas or LA or Florida. Are you looking for a particular style of player? Just looking for a mentality. That's okay. Cause yeah, you already talked about that. You, yeah. Just looking for the, per, just looking for their personality. Right. Yeah. So that's the first thing is just like, obviously everybody can look at a field and go, there's a top talent or, but for us, for SLU, it's like, what is their, what is their, what is their, what is the fabric in, in, inside of them? Like, what's their fighting spirit? What's their mentality like? Are they good teammates? Like a character? They can they, they lead? Are they competitive? Just kind of like, do they make others better? Those are the things that we kind of try to filter for. So, so let's go back through the past um, 20, 21 years along the lines, following up on that answer. Um, you've been privy to and have coached and have access to tremendous players at the club level uh, and, and clearly at the collegiate level. Give us a few examples of name drop and apply it to that mentality. What did you see in them kind of like paint a picture for those trying to figure out, you know, that there are maybe newbies to the game and to this type of a conversation? What is that? How do you see mentality? 
Yeah, their body language, um, and their work rate, you know, how they react to, a, you know, their teammates, how they react to a bad call, kind of like what happens when the game is on the line. Do they, do they go hiding? Do they go missing? Do they want the ball? You know, just are they, you know, if you look at like a, a, a Johnny Klein's a good example, right? I think he's an easy one to, to talk about because he's, he's fairly new to everybody. But like Johnny, Johnny made others around him better. And I think he had to grow as a leader, but but he was a guy with a big personality that didn't go missing and um, wanted responsibility and would would run for days and would do the dirty work and roll up his sleeves. He wasn't a prima donna. He wasn't. Uh, well, well, let's go. Let's go to Johnny's senior year of high school. Um, can, do you remember? or Were you part of that process? Because I got lucky, actually. You actually, know. So when I, when I actually I got hired in, um, let's see, February 1st of 2018, somewhere around there. And I, I, I got Johnny like mid-March of his senior year. He was still available. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so think about it. I tell that story a bit to, to players that are still maybe late in the recruiting process. Like there's still a school out there. There's still schools looking. You just got to continue. If you feel if you're good enough, just be patient. You'll find it, right? So, but he was playing – Johnny was playing uh, as a pivot or a six holding midfielder for the Portland Timbers when I saw him. My question is at that time frame because you know you being in the develop development academy, um, kind of the way that our game has went, um, athletic, big, strong, fast. Was he there because of his size specifically at seventeen years old? It's a good question. I think he's pretty versatile to begin with. They put him at right back and pick, yeah, probably because maybe they thought that's who'd project best maybe for the first team at the time. But mm-hmm. so Tommy Howe was a coach of mine um, growing up, and so Tommy coached Johnny for. Well, was Sporting St. Louis at the time for a year or two uh, in between his stints with uh, Johnny. Before that, was at Sporting Kansas City, and Johnny and, and Tommy Howe always said, told me, if you know, he was one of the best players he's coached. That says a lot for a guy who's coached a lot of really good players. Oh, you know, and I trust goodness. his opinion. So, I mean, well, I wow. saw him at the I think it's the Loyola game, uh, your your most recent conference championship run when you won the conference championship. <clears throat> Johnny, I think, played almost every minute and in the end it went to extra time he physically looked like he was so tired Mm. but he never stopped and he added so much value in those moments and it, it it talks about that mentality and that's the first time i'd ever seen him play live and when we were talking about mental that's the picture that came was was johnny klein in the hundredth minute uh, still running and never stopped. So <laughs> I guess my, my question on, on top of that is you mentioned the mentality of persistence, right? From Arsene Wenger. What was his work style off the field? Yeah, I think that, I think very good. Right? I think so. I think, uh, one of the, one of the, the unique things about where we're at now is like a, uh, because when you get a, a lot of guys that have very, uh, they're like they're type A and they're like um, they're they're high performers. They're they're uh, they're guys that are constantly um, competing, competing, and like they they they're they're very internally driven. And what the, the the culture will move guys, you know, will move guys forward a bit. So like guys like Johnny, maybe at first was was always good, but then when you add Kip Keller to the mix, and then yep. you add Simon Bester, and then you add. You know Chase Deason. You start and you add Patrick Schulte, and next thing you know, they're all together. And now that it starts to feed off each other, and it really moves it quicker. It becomes contagious. It becomes, and so like the norm is okay. Eight, eight, 
9% body fat and we're going to do this and we're going to and everybody has to keep up and so then the standards go higher and they go higher and then now it becomes the norm it just becomes the standard this is what we do and how we act and how we wow so so then how how have you um i mean <clears throat> kind of funneled all of that into what we just touched on probably about 5 minutes ago because all those individuals came from the academy world mm -hmm. in which like you pointed out accurately there's not a lot of cups to win. There's no medals. There, you know, there's not a lot of that. Maybe, you know, at the younger ages, there are. What's what's the trick? What's your trick in getting them mentally into? Hey, now we're entering into that one and done environment. Getting into the playoffs, etc. You know, how do you shift and add that element of now it is about winning? You know, as opposed to player development. development. I think all those guys actually had it. I mean, they, they, they remember they came from the loss of the finals of the academy. I mean, a lot of those guys did. I mean, they they had some pretty successful runs. Most of those group the, those guys did, even as a youth within youth. Like, so the I'm not sure. Does MLS next have a, a final? They have a final. They do. They yeah. Do, so right? the GA Cup, Generation Adidas Cup, okay. is one that's just MLS teams only. And then there's the MLS Next, Dallas, which is kind of a for certain age, I think it's U15 and U17, they have a, a championship. Yeah. For 14s and 16s, they and then, don't. And but. the city team last year went to, what are they? Semifinals. Semifinals, right? Yeah, they were so, yeah. top eight, I think. So I think I think it's still there. It's just not, maybe you don't have as many opportunities as yeah. maybe we once did. It seemed like there was always something you're playing for. Now it's maybe a little bit more of a prolonged run. But I think all those guys are, I mean, their parents are very competitive. Um you know, and I think that's that's kind of starts there with their with their you know their family and and um, no, I knew we knew like even a guy like AJ Palazzolo who who came into the program late from Indiana, he just he just brings a winning mentality, right? So I think you put all those guys in a, in a in a group together, and you you know as a coach you just kind of step back. And so go. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in not a curveball by any means, but a, a somewhat controversial topic, which is the international students and the international okay. players. How has that been for you i mean we've we've had a couple different coaches we've talked about this in a variety of different ways but is there how, how does the international player recruitment work for you guys meaning is that something they, they're coming to you and sending you film and because you're probably not flying yeah. to brazil or south africa maybe you are for certain <laughs> players and if, if you need a partner, just let me know. Um, yeah. But you know, I'll hold but, the camera. Yeah. Just curious <laughs> on that international and how that has an impact on that those core groups um, that you've been coaching. Yeah, I, th I think you have to have a niche of what you, well, who you are and what you're about, right? So we're going to be, first and foremost, a St. Louis player. If, if there's enough quality players in St. Louis that we can win a national title with and we can do it with all St. Louis guys, and that's what we'd, we'd prefer. Obviously, that's hard to do. It's because the game's global and – uh, there's a lot of top talent that's out there. Um, so then, but we'll look at we'll look at domestic players, um, and then we look at international players as well. We don't have a we just want good people that are really competitive, that fit our culture, that are really can I uh, can really associate with our identity, and um, and then it's kind of like driving those what we call cultural principles into them on a daily basis, and like building a high level, high performing team. So like. Um, I think the majority of our, you know, as we move forward, you're going to see the cores from St. Louis or the Midwest, but I think you'll always see a sprinkling of, of guys from maybe outside outside the, um, the country and or outside maybe the Midwest area. Well, I think shit, over the years from Texas, you guys have hit well. I mean, you yeah, guys have Texas, had some hammers from Texas over the last decade. We've done you know? a good – yeah, I mean, think about it. There's only one 
I mean, SMU, and then there's a few other um, Division One schools in Texas, but not many. There's a lot of players down there, right? Yeah, so, there is. Um, you know, and obviously when we lost nine starters after 21, we had to go to the portal. Yeah. Right. So then we didn't have time to recruit domestic, maybe guys that were maybe at the level that we wanted to be at. There probably wasn't that many available left. So then we had to change our recruiting to go more international base and through the portal and just, but again, try to find the right guys. And, um, and we've been kind of playing catch up ever since the 21 season on our recruiting cycles because it, it, it totally derailed us a bit. So now we're trying to get more normality to our recruiting cycles again, and we're close to being there. So, so success breeds more success over time when you when you have a strategy and a mentality in place. I mean, kind of like you're you're building that right now, and it and it's and it's manifesting in real time. Um, my question is along those lines with the not only the success. Uh, of of SLU under your leadership here the last few years and kind of the trajectory that that's going. But speak to this. How, how does St. Louis come into play as a whole, as a region, with the club scene, uh, with the other Division I te- uh, programs that are in the region, now with City SC, mm-hmm. you know, literally, what, uh, I mean, that's seven blocks yeah. away from your field. You know, we all know we grew up here. St. Louis is a Mecca we, yep. domestically. But now it's almost like this new rebirth, a new type of Mecca on top of right. all this foundation. How is that affecting the inbound interest and your ability to find the talent, you know, to fill those gaps? Is it is it easier than it was 10 years ago, you know, in your previous uh, positions? Um, talk, speak to the role that St. Louis as a region plays in your process. Yeah, so this is the best ecosystem ever to to have a top level university at, in my opinion, right? So I think just the 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 the, um, the significance the sport plays in St. Louis, right? I don't, that's not that's not normal. And you go to I don't think you go to many other places. Even like I was just recruiting in Houston this past week, and it, it while it's a great a great market, I'm sure there's a lot of talent there. It's still not St. Louis in terms of in my opinion, like the the feel. Uh, this has a, a small, you know, basically we're a close knit community, even though we're a big city. Right. And so, um, so I think, I think, uh, from my perspective, St. Louis is in the, it's at the perfect spot. I think the, you have, you have opportunity now to go get a education and still maybe go on a pro pathway. You can go directly to the pro pathway and sign from high school, you know, like Kim Glover did, um, so and there's a number of different options as well. Now with Lindenwood to be in Division One, you have SIU, you have obviously Missouri State, and you, so you have a lot of great options. Division One, I, I mean, David Corn at Maryville's top ten Division Two, I and mean, there's just so many great options in my opinion inside this market right now for players. It's it's better than it ever Lindenwood's has. Lindenwood's going to be outstanding. Yeah, with your staff, great going coaches there. that are out there. So I think there's just. Um, it's, it's to me, it's the perfect time if you're a player to be playing because you, you can you can go down multiple pathways and still maybe reach your ultimate goal of maybe being a pro, and if not, then getting a great education and moving forward. Going off the rails a little bit personally because I've always wanted to ask you this question. Um, back to Aquinas, you're 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 all American. You you go to Connecticut for two years. You come back to St. Louis. I think I know the answer there. Talk to me about that timeline. Why you went there? why you came back home and also sprinkling best stadium college stadium at the time there's a lot of good college stadiums back mm-hmm. then best one you played at best player you played with and against holy cow that's, that's like, like so yeah, yeah he, but he, he can retain down. it he can retain it <laughs> so uh um, why'd you go to connecticut went to dan donigan okay he recruited me okay so he was my recruiter um just connected with him i, I wanted to 
I've admitted Crystal Clear wanted to be at Salou. Always wanted to be at Salou. Uh, but Joe Clark ran out of money. Um, and so there was a couple guys ahead of me that he went after. And, and um, yeah, my, my well, Who's parents, he got there at that time? Was, He's got McKeon, McBride. Had, he already had Bill, yeah, well, they, McEwen was a senior when we were freshmen. But, he, you know, he had he, he admitted Mark, uh, Phila, and the Moriarty twins and a few other guys that, uh, that were really good. I mean, our, our class that year was really special. So, um, so, um, at that point, yeah, we decided we're going to end up going to Connecticut, Jeff DeMarie and I, and, um, yeah, we played two years there. It was a good experience. But then when, uh, how fate kind of works, um, Dan Donegan ended up getting the assistant coaching job at SLU after our junior year or after our sophomore year. Um, so we followed him back home. And then you guys come home and just bring two hammers right to the program. I mean, yeah, the, we would have won the whole. Here I think like we would have won the whole thing in ninety. I, I always say the ninety, was it the ninety one team or ninety two team that went to the final four? That was probably, in my opinion, the best slew team I've ever seen, or or you know, in terms of like they were they had you know Sorber and, and McBride and yeah, but your that, final four team was real. But good. we actually, I, I thought we could have won it that year. We went to the final four and we were missing our three best players. Who were they? You were missing Jeff, Jeff? Maria, Mark Phila, and Pat Moriarty. We're all, wow, we're all, and Tim Leonard was out for the majority of the year. So if like, I think if we would have had those guys inside the team, I think we could have won. Wow, that's an exciting story. Okay, so so college stadiums, you play out east, Big East soccer's huge, big time. You come back into um, SLU. So in that four year period, you're playing at some hammer, awesome programs, great stadiums, best stadium, best player you played with, best player you played against with. I think the best, honestly, the best stadium was still was UConn. I loved UConn. Stadium. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was well beyond its, you know, before its years. So Joe Maroney was a great like program builder um, back in the day, and, and UConn soccer in the '80s was was quite impressive. Did and, you ever play the graveyard in South Carolina? We never did that. No. That one's a good one too. Yeah. All right, players, tell me. Played with. Or, let's go with first. Okay. Let's. I tell you what. Let me think about that. I'll circle back and write that down. We'll get back to that <laughs> okay. by the end yeah. of the okay. conversation. That's All a tough. Plus, one. he's hey. trying to. He needs to remember who's, need to, who yeah, he's going to see in the years. next thirty days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it might be that under twenty three national team from Scott Gallagher that probably had what your starting lineup played at all Division one schools. Brad Brad Davis came off the bench, playing four years up. Wow. Think about that team. Four years Hammers. up. He was playing yep. four years up at that time. Like he was, he, Brad was always like a special, special, special talent. Like, you, could, you could tell as a ten-year-old he was going to be a pro. He was, His left foot was dynamite. Yeah, at, yeah. at ten years old. So, so who who was the who was the ringer that you uh, suited up against during those years that just kind of left an indelible mark in your? I mean, Jeff Maria was the best player. I, that that in that's, our, that's in what our, my money. In our, if you were going to pick pick a you know, guy at recess, I'd pick him. Well, I'm the talking about our, other team like that you played well, yeah, against. It was on CBC, so I was on Aquinas. So oh. <laughs> I consider him other team. The more the more twins, but uh, I mean, it, the interesting thing was, but so we, we you know we I played for Gallagher. You know, you know, Bush was good growing up, obviously. You know, um, but it wasn't. We we all kind of came together after a U18 year. That's why we ended up making a run. But up until that point, we were kind of. It was kind of age group specific. Yeah, I mean, your every, age group, every age group had it. You know, depending on whether Bush had. You know, Norco was decent back then, and so yeah, it was uh, a talent was a lot of was spread out a little bit. Due to a second half gear malfunction, you will unfortunately be missing the second half of our conversation with Coach Kevin Kalish from SLU University. But do not fear, he was gracious enough to offer his return trip 
a little bit later in the year here so that we can get caught up on how the team's doing and plenty of other news which I'm sure will include where City stands and more. So thanks for giving us a follow. Keep it up. We'll, we'll keep them coming.